Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Thank you very much and welcome to the v It's so great to see this room full um, and I'm looking forward to hearing from lots of you later on on this, uh, on this question. Um, I'll introduce the speakers one at a time as I ask them the question, but I thought just by word of introduction, I sort of reflect upon what makes a city interesting. It seems to me that most cities that are known for being rich or are known for being about money are sort of by definition not interesting, or at least they always were. Think of Monaco or Geneva or Zurich or Luxembourg, and they don't really try to be interesting. They just try to be good, safe ports in a storm for money. And those that are interesting, perhaps you know, especially recently, you think of Berlin or Barcelona or Detroit, they're definitely not rich and they don't try to be. And it was somehow thrilling when in 2004, Berlin's mayor, Klaus Wowereit, said, Berlin is poor but sexy and celebrated that quality in his city. And I'm interested to wonder whether Mayor Boris Johnson would, would celebrate that quality if indeed we had it. This great institution is perhaps one of the places that makes London interesting. Um, London is a capital of culture, we have galleries and museums, and they number amongst the most popular tourist attractions in the world. Um, London is the most popular tourist destination in the world, according to the Evening Standard, and we have listed buildings and universities and, and shopping and pubs, and we have carnival and the marathon and festivals and moments of public rejoicing. And so attractive is London as a destination that in 2003 we started the congestion charge and charged people to get in to the city, arguably becoming the first city ever to charge for entry. But there's no doubt that London is rich. The city has never looked swisher. Uh, one line always confirms this for me is that there is York Stone on Old Street. Who would have ever thought that um, a few years ago? But perhaps what we mean when we say London is rich is that the rich like to be here. 4,224 ultra-high net worth individuals live in this city, more than any other city in the world, and it's by far the most unequal region of the UK. Um, By way of a final example of that, just down the street from here, and perhaps if you're wandering that way later, you might have a look at it, facing the side of Brompton Oratory is a house built by a very famous British architect in 2012, faces the side of the oratory, And it was sold for tens of millions of pounds to uh, an oligarch about two years ago. 
when he bought it, he bought the three adjoining houses too for his security team and his bodyguards. And it seems to me that that's undoubtedly a street that's got less interesting. I don't know how much time he spends there or how much time or what his security guards get up to when they're off duty, but it does seem to me that that is a, a downtick in the interesting stakes. Simon Jenkins is an author and journalist. He writes a column twice weekly for The Guardian and a weekly column about London for The Evening Standard. He's the former editor of The Evening Standard and The Times and has been the chairman of the National Trust since November 2008. And I want to start by asking you, Simon, is London too rich to be interesting? My mind is racing over these security guards for the oligarch. <laughs> what are they doing every night? They're not being interesting. Um, when I became a journalist, you're, you're handed, um, on the old days of the Times, you handed a list of words you should never use. There were words like issue and supply and accommodate. I always remember them. If ever you use a word you've been banned from using when you were young, you use it with total terror. It comes back to you. It's like what your mother said to you. Um, uh, one of those words was interesting. The most boring word in the English language, it said. Um, so what can we do with this motion? Uh, um, uh, I think we know what we mean. Um, it means we like it. Uh, we like places that are interesting. Um, the, the relationship between wealth and interest, which we'll probably tease out in the course of the evening, um, does, does relate to what we mean by interesting. But I think most people now, as you said, Kieran, regard London as a very interesting place. So let's take that as given. The question is, does it have anything to do with wealth? Um, and I, my view, when I read the question, was London basically is so interesting that it's bound to be rich. Uh, and you, 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 you cannot help yourself. If, you're, if you have the excitement of London or New York or these, these, these big, booming world cities now, they are such magnets for interesting people. They cannot fail to be interesting. Um, you're right, there are one or two, like, like Geneva or, or, or Chongqing, um, which are not very interesting but are really quite well-off places now. Um, uh, I don't find Hong Kong terribly interesting except, except tonight. Um, uh, um, so you know, it is not necessarily the case that a rich place is interesting. But I do think that a place like London, with the history and the thing I'm particularly interested in examining, which is the, the legacy of historic buildings which are of infinitely adaptable uses, and it's this, it's this um, character of London, of rolling around London being interesting in turn. I mean, Chelsea was interesting, it's not now. Um, Hackney wasn't interesting, it's interesting now. These places go through these wonderful evolutions of being interesting and they're not. And that's what I think makes London interesting, incidentally, and also rich. Just to follow up briefly, Simon, do you think London's more interesting now then than it was when it was much poorer, say, in the mid-'80s? I do think that. But I have to say, I, I just... I, I don't have the same problem with, 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 with wealth and poverty in the city. Um, London, London attracts a third of a million people every year. Most of them are poor. Um, they somehow find a way of living in London uh, and in doing so tend to create their own interest now. I mean, it used to be the case that it was interesting to be in Soho or in the central area of London. Now um, you've got colonies of interest dotted all around the city. I mean, you know, you, you right out in, in Newham, down in New Cross, um, Brixton, places that, that weren't that interesting some time ago are becoming interesting because of people being forced to go and live there. Thank you very much, Simon. We'll come back to you. Um, Akala is a rapper, a poet, and a journalist. He is the founder of the Hip Hop Shakespeare Company, a music, theatre, and education company um, that works on contemporary adaptations of Shakespeare's work. He won the MOBO Award for Best Hip Hop Artist in 2006 for his first album, It's Not a Rumour. So, Akala, how do you respond to this question? Um, well, I think it's a question that's not really a question. It's a question that infers many other questions. Um, and some of the things that it infers that are obviously not true is that poor people are by inference more creative and wealthy people are less creative. I don't agree with the notion that poverty somehow confers creativity. I think people are 
creative in spite of poverty. Poverty is an inhibitor of creativity. There are many things that people all around the globe could be doing if they were not looking for basic subsistence, etc. Um, so poverty is not necessarily a, a, an arbiter of creativity in, in that way, and wealth doesn't necessarily prohibit creativity. I think the question uh, for me is really about class and creativity when we talk about wealth and creativity in London, in a city that, yes, is one of the wealthiest society, uh, cities in the world, but is also one of the most divided cities in the rich world. And it's interesting because Simon says Hackney wasn't that interesting, but now it is. But interesting to whom? Because I grew up going to the Hackney Empire five times a week as a child, and it was one of the most interesting places in London for me, as was Brixton when I grew up. But it, Brixton and Hackney are no longer interesting for people like me because we don't live there anymore, right? <laughs> so... When we say interesting, for who do we mean interesting? You understand? Um, and, and I think it's all of those conversations that make this conversation uh, quite fascinating and quite interesting in a city like London. But I would also say we cannot ignore the fact that rich people need poor people to be rich by definition. And we like to ignore that and call you a Marxist or whatever else if you bring up this kind of unfashionable things like class struggle. But by definition, rich people need poor people to be rich. And for me, a place like London where those cleavages are visible, at least to someone of my inclination every day, makes London interesting. And we find ways to be creative in spite of maybe not feeling represented in the places that we're now told are cool. In fact, they become cool because we've moved out, even though we made them cool in the first place. So Notting Hill Carnival is now a lot cooler for some people than it was in the 80s. But for me, in the 80s was when it was at its peak of cool. So I think it's also about who gets to define what is interesting. But wouldn't you agree there is a certain degree of consensus right now somehow out in the world that London is a centre of something, of creativity, of, you know, of, of, of a lot of things? It's, is this to you just a kind of marketing spiel that we, that we roll out? Or, or, no, you know? I don't think that's up for debate. But why is London creative? How did it become to be creative? And more importantly, how did it become to be rich? These are all the things that we cannot allow to be obscured as we hold up this picture of Canary Wharf. What is directly opposite Canary Wharf? It would have been more interesting if we took a zoom back and we looked at the overwhelmingly Bengali council estates that only provide security for this place, you know, that have to look at this every day. That would have been a more interesting picture to me. And those people are not less creative because they have less money or because they're not in this rather, in fact, quite barren and uninteresting place. Um, so to me, London is massively interesting. I just think I would probably disagree with many people as to why and as to what is interesting about London. Thank you. So we've had Simon saying there's a kind of tide of interestingness that ebbs and flows that somehow is related to money, but not necessarily that you can be in, in you know, outer London, still find that interesting and leave Soho to the rich. For you, this is a, a more divided picture. Tanya Gold, columnist and feature writer for the Sunday Times in 2010, won feature writer of the year at the British Press Awards and is also the restaurant critic for The Spectator. Tanya, what's your take on whether London is too rich to be interesting? Um, well... London can never not be interesting. Um, it's a, a city that grew up at, between the, the Thames and the River, Free, the River Fleet. It's fresh water supply. There have been people living here for thousands of years. The Romans came. Um, I was looking at a map just opposite in the map shop um, that showed London in 1736. And, and I could tell, actually, without noticing the date, um, that it was pre-1800 when there was um, nothing built north of Oxford Street 
you just had to wait till you get uh, till you got to the the small villages of, of Highgate and Hampstead. I, I love the I love the sense of history in London. I'm I'm rather obsessed with it, and I, I often think about what it would be like to go back to particular moments of history and see what it was like. Uh, and I've actually fixed on a date, which was the night before the Great Fire of London. Um, so much would I've liked to have seen the medieval city. So of course London's interesting. Everything is interesting if you're a writer. Um, Dr. Crippen's pretty interesting, and and the man I saw. Um, whistling for change at St. Paul's, a blind man whistling for change at St. Paul's Underground Station last year. He was also very interesting. My concern about London is it's become, it's becoming too expensive for anyone except the rich to live here. And you're seeing what I, 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 I don't even hesitate to call it social cleansing, uh, with the benefit cap of 26,000 now reduced to 23,000 pounds a year, you're, you're going to see um, working class people and people on benefits and, and the low paid uh, moving out of London, rents are so high, we all know now about the slums that are, the growing, uh, that are, that are growing up um, on, on the edges of London uh, and I think, it's, I think it's, it's, it's shocking and it's shameful and you can say that there is something splendid and interesting about the gulf between, between rich and poor but, but I, I, think it's a, I think it's a stain on London and my great fear is that we're going to end up like like Monaco, or Venice, or or Paris, um, which is a sort of centre which is sandblasted clean, with no sense of, of 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 community, and everyone is rich and white, and everyone is on holiday. Uh, I mean, if you go in, if you if you go to the uh, the Place de la Concorde in Paris, you you get no sense that that, that great historical things happened. It's just dotted with hotels. You know, Vive le Minibar uh, was was what I thought, and, and Venice is is is, is much the sh- much the same. And I would hate to see that happening to London. We haven't seen yet um, what impact on the city this this uh, this divide, this growing inequality between rich and poor is going to have. But I think it's going to be really bad news for London. And I also would dispute that that wealth and creativity um, go together, because of course the arts have always flourished under under patrons. But on the other hand, Judy Dench was complaining a couple of weeks ago that working class kids are writing to her saying, "I can't afford to go to." drama school so you've got to ask who's going to be making the art and but this question of kind of who is going you know the the create the relationship between creativity and and wealth i mean you've said you've talked about patrons there i mean there's undoubtedly you know we're in a building built by the wealthy in order to benefit the poor do you see any prospect that there may be a new i often ask the you know ask the question of kind of what perhaps one of these oligarchs will one day become the next Carnegie. You know, is there not potential in that? Because the Victorian city was, of course, built at a moment of unbelievable inequality. Well, yes, um, philanthropy is the new taxation, uh, I like to say. Uh, I'm sorry that didn't get a laugh. Um, well, I, I know we're going to talk about the oligarchs tonight, and I have to say I don't mind the oligarchs. I mean, of course they come to London. You know, it's politically stable. There are great schools. They're not going to get shot by the people they stole all their money from. Uh, well, uh, well, and, you know, unless they really annoy the Russian government. Um, I'm just sorry they don't have better taste. But Gavin, Gavin's probably got more to say about this than I do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tanya. Um, Gavin Turk is an artist who's worked in London since 1991. Um, will be known to many of you as pioneered many forms of contemporary British sculpture, um, including the painted bronze, the waxwork, recycled art historical icon, and the use of rubbish in art. He's recently been commissioned to make several public sculptures, including Nail, a 12-meter sculpture at One New Change next to St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, Gavin, is London too rich to be interesting? Mm. It's on. Mm. Yes, I think it is. Hello. Mm. Um, 
move it away slightly. I think it's... Is, it, is that better? I think when you hold it too close, it's too difficult. Um, is London too rich to be interesting? So I get this question and I think, wow, you know, this is, a, this is going to be hard to, hard to answer. Um, I think it's just because it's kind of a bit vague. It's quite a vague question. I mean, there's lots of vague vaguenesses that can creep in. I mean, I, I wonder what London is under the terms of interesting or what London is under the terms of rich. Um, too rich. What's, what's too rich? What does that mean? Like, um, people that are rich, do they, do they know they're rich? Do they, at what point do, they, do you set the bar? You know, how do you, how do you say that something's rich? So too rich is, is actually like a point where the bar is broken uh, and, and people, they're not even rich anymore, they're too rich, as if there's a limit, as if we can somehow um, say that something's too rich and then, and then it's to be interesting. Ooh. Too rich to be interesting. Um, I think there's a, a couple of things came to my mind when I was looking at the question. I kind of thought, well... What happens with this... If you reduce the question, so you go rich in a relationship to interesting. Rich is interesting. Or, or London is rich. London is interesting. When you start playing with these little bits of the, the question, you start trying to kind of make some sort of sense or trying to make some sort of landscape. I think that, um, for me, I want to try and concentrate on the idea of Rich, um, in terms of a kind of cultural, a sort of cultural space, um, in terms of um, a bit like someone once said to me, like as an artist, you're never poor, and it kind of stuck in my head because I thought, oh, what does that mean? It certainly was at a point when I was particularly poor, <laughs> um, having sort of just left education and just was drifting on the dole. Um, hoping to be kind of fished out of the sea by some um, kind of gallery or, or wealthy patron um, or someone that sort of thought that uh, it was worth investing in me. Um, I certainly felt quite poor, but I was given this little lifeline. As an artist, you're never poor. And, um, and in a way, as I sort of turned it round in my head, I suddenly thought, well, the, the kind of the main, the main emphasis about that is that, is that actually... If you, if you have a, a kind of a, a, um, a, a rich and, and kind of, I, I think, a kind of full of choice and, a, and, a, and a, um, a, a culture which has diversity and has elements of, of, of freedom in it somehow and, and, a, and a kind of and a sense of, of where it's going or where it's been or where it's at, then, then, this, is a, then this has a, a richness to it. Um, I think that when we, and that's interesting, if, if we're allowed to use the word interesting, um, or that's what I want, that's what I want to try and do with my work, that's what I want to try and do with my life, that's what I, what I feel I want to promote. Um, rich, when we come back to the kind of, uh, the, the very kind of pared down financial, the fiscal rich, um, Again, like all too often, I keep hearing people say that such and such a decision was made because um, it made money, that, that somehow making money is an excuse um, for decision-making. It made money, therefore, it was a good decision. Um, and it seems to me that um, 
if, if money itself and the making of money just becomes a, a kind of an end in itself or, or a, a process which leads to an end, then I, then I think that we, we're losing the point. I think that, um, I think that money and having money, and it, and it comes back to what you were saying, I think comes with a certain amount of responsibility. So, um, I mean, I guess my kind of ending is probably the same as your ending. I mean, I, I would hope that... that um, if there was some sort of floating wealthy people, two wealthy people, um, they should definitely be taking the responsibility and putting that wealth back into London, um, or certainly back into the community which, in with, which they are within, although they're probably in communities where you know, they've got all their guards there and their <laughs> big houses and their planes and boats. But, Gavin, and... can I ask you, the, the kind of freedom you're describing, isn't it enabled by things like the dole, for instance, which you... Um, had, but sure. might not be so easy for a young art student today, a sure. working class art student, <clears throat> recently graduated. I sure. mean, isn't it, is this a political problem? Um, but are you saying that the, the, sorry, I mean, isn't, the, isn't the back certain... line of what you're saying is, is that because London is, or because the UK is wealthy enough as, a, as, a, um, as an economy that it can provide... Um, I suppose what I'm saying, I'm, saying, I'm saying that London must have afforded you some freedoms to become the artist you've become, sure. um, and you describe that as essential. I suppose what I'm hearing a little bit from the rest of the panel is perhaps some of those freedoms are less now than they were in the 80s. Does that feel right to I you? I don't do, know. Do you... I'm, not on the, I'm not currently on the dole. I mean, I think there is, I think there is, um, I think there is obviously uh, you know, a problem of gentrification. You know, there is a problem of... of um, slowly um, communities get sort of pushed out of London as, as they realise that they can't afford to live in their houses um, because their houses are too valuable um, for, for, for that area of town. Um, so, uh, you know, the knock-on effect of that is that London sort of becomes uh, a, a, almost like a bigger town. Um, and you know, maybe it, we develop problems in that respect. Can I briefly, I want to ask one more question, which I forgot to ask you. Where do you all live in London? Just very quickly, Simon, where do you live? Half a mile from here. Half a mile from here. In which direction? Simon? Kensington. It's important. Uh, Kensington. It's different. Okay. It's expensive. Labrook Grove. Gospel Oak. Sorry? Gospel Oak. Gospel Oak. And um, Hackney. In Hackney. Okay, great. I think that's that helps, you know, for a London audience, that helps to locate us, I think. Um, Simon, I wonder <clears> if I might just come back to you briefly. You talk... To me, you talked about a kind of a cycle that sounds almost natural. It's like, a, you know, London's so interesting that, of course, there's wealth. And, of course, that wealth cleaves to the, to the best bits of town. And we get by, you know, the, those of us who aren't wealthy in the fringes of, of that, unless you can hang on to a flat in Kensington, which you probably got when it was affordable and a journalist could afford such, such, such things. Is this really a natural consequence, or is it more like Tanya's describing? It's actually a political decision. There's, there have been decisions made that have made London too rich, too ripe, and therefore it has denuded that centre of the city or something. Well, this whole debate, the reason why you're asking this question is that at the moment London's in the middle of a housing boom, I mean, a quite exceptional one. That boom is caused largely by the, the ease of finance. It's dirt cheap to borrow money. That drives up prices, and that's where we are at the moment. When I bought my first house in London, a mortgage cost, I think, 17%. Now, it, it wasn't that much higher a multiple of what I was earning than it is now, or would be the equivalent person now. But the cost of buying the house was astronomical then. 
It was exactly the same conversation. So we have to be careful. We're not just talking about very rich parts of London at the height of a housing boom. If you look at London property over, over, over the generations, look at this place here, um, Canary Wharf. I knew Canary Wharf when it was full of artist studios, cinema um, studios. It was, it was the ultimate interesting place. Now, I never quite know why only artists and actors are considered interesting, but let's leave that to one side. Um, apparently, that's the, that's the, that's the, sort of the, the denotation of interesting place, is that it's an artist or an actor. Uh, and they've got to be, they've got to be you know, um, sort of well-housed and poor at the same time. But anyway, um, the, this, place, this place was destroyed as an interesting place by a very rich development, which then went bankrupt, and we all had to bail it out. I mean, it was an absolute scandal. Mm. It is not that different, however, from North Kensington. North Kensington was built in the 1850s and 60s. It was built for very rich people who moved in, but not in enough numbers, and it almost immediately went bankrupt. Uh, it then went through a period of almost a century of poverty until the, until the 1990 leases came due, and in, that, in the post-war period, it gradually moved upward, became Notting Hill Gate, became fashionable, has now become very rich, and is less interesting. But one thing's for sure, that place will go bust again one day. Um, they're rebuilding Battersea at the moment in astronomically expensive flats, which are going to be sold to foreigners. Something will happen to the world economy. Battersea will go bust. It'll fill with poor people. I bet you anything, Canary Wharf and Battersea will fill with poor people again. So all this it, will it then become interesting? No, because all this it's the wrong money, architecture. That's a different subject. All this hot money, <laughs> all this hot money could just go away. I think that's a really interesting idea. I mean... Would, would it be better if all this hot money just went away, all of this stuff that has, has fairly recently created such an extreme You're property value? Oligarchs. Uh, not just no, the oligarchs, people. actually. I'm talking about this, let's say, the city. I have, no ro- I have no problem with wealth. You know, I'm not a communist. I just like to see it more, more evenly distributed. You know, I'd like to see the London living wage as an absolute minimum no, no, and, and more asking, social housing. That's in a way not what I'm asking. So I'm asking, would it be more interesting if all that hot money went away? Like, whatever interesting means, would it for you, would your London be clearer to see? Would it be more enjoyable? Would it be a place more worth being in if, it were, if, if all of that money went away? Well, I just want people to be happier. So I suppose if they went away and gave some of their money to other people, everyone would be a bit happier. They certainly don't seem very happy themselves. Because um, <laughs> in my job uh, at The Spectator, I have to go and dine in the restaurants they dine in. They're, they don't look very happy. Um, yeah. And, Carla, can I ask you a similar question? If all of that money went away, you know, Simon's saying, you know, it's just boom and bust, this thing could go away, would that be a good thing? Well, I think it's kind of the wrong question in a sense. You know, we're focusing on a very, very rich particular elite, and in this conversation it seems to mostly have been about foreign rich people that live here as if they are not rich people born in England. Um, but there's a much bigger conversation because the only wealth divides are not just between people who are billionaires and people who are on benefits. They're on every rung of the ladder, if you like, has a different divide on it, and we tend to ignore the social forces that we agree with. So, for example, people talk about the free market, just to give one example, the free trade and things of this nature. They refuse to recognise immigration control, for example, as a policy that benefits them. As the great Cambridge economist Hadun Chang points out, a bus driver in India will earn one fiftieth of what a bus driver in Sweden earns. This isn't according to capitalist logic because, you know, the bus driver in Sweden is 50 times more productive. It's because immigration control prevents workers in Sweden from having to compete with workers in India who are often better qualified, harder working, etc, etc, etc. So this whole debate will always be coloured by what we choose to see and choose not to see, if that makes sense, based on our experiences and based on the social forces that affect us. So from my perspective, I don't know if it makes a huge difference. There weren't that many oligarchs or the same amount of 
quote-unquote oligarchs living in London in the 80s, but the same divisions, the same structural problems, the same cultural problems existed in the 80s, just as they exist today. But isn't Labrick Grove quite a good example of a place that actually is the emergent middle classes or the wealthier and wealthier middle classes who have changed that yeah, place fundamentally? The emerging white middle classes, yeah, yeah. right? And, and, and even that, the cleavage of race within this city is something we like to not talk about because it makes people uncomfortable. But Labrick Grove, a historically African-Caribbean neighbourhood, the home of the carnival, a, a piece of creativity that came out of the murder of Kelso Cole Crane back in the 1950s and local activists created what has now become the largest street festival in Europe. But look at the content of that festival and what's permitted to go on at that festival that is supposed to be a celebration of African-Caribbean culture. It isn't that anymore. Give so me even, an example of that. So Labrick Grove, even Notting Hill Carnival itself, is now gentrified. It closes at 7 o'clock. You're allowed to play acid house music. Anyone's allowed to apply for a permit to perform there. But the, because the control of that festival, the power of arts within this city, does not vest with the people that create it. So Notting Hill Carnival that was created by community activists is not controlled by community activists. Therefore, how Notting Hill Carnival ends up looking and who it ends up catering to is not the community that it started with. But it isn't oligarchs either. So there are other levels of social cleavage around this question of creativity and who is in positions of power to control who can be creative and for whom. But by your logic, Simon, shouldn't there be another Notting Hill Carnival hatching somewhere that we haven't noticed yet that will replace the less interesting Notting Hill Carnival will become a new, vibrant... On my model, yes. I imagine that, that well, A, you can, you can simply order it. But anyway, I imagine that's beginning to happen in, in curious ways. Um, what, I think, what I think is critical to fasten on, firstly, this word interesting is bedeviling us. Um, uh, I think we know what we mean, but we don't dare say so. It's, it's basically things we like to go and see. But, uh, and we all like different things to see, so it's not very helpful. What, what I think is important is to, is, to, is to examine how a city is open to change and innovation. I mean, what, one of the places in America that's now receiving most attention from doc, documentary makers is the city of Detroit, a total basket case, a disaster area. Very interesting. It's filling up with artists, it's filling up with writers, people who want to go somewhere which, very, which, is, which is basically so poor it's penniless. Um, but it's, 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 it's open to creativity, it's open to new ideas. And I think the thing, about, the thing I think, the, the key to London's success has been this, this completely diverse um, urban ecology, different sorts of neighbourhoods in, in conjunction with each other. The reason why I hate these places is they're monotonous, um, they're, they're inflexible, they are not open to, 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 to um, new people moving in, new, new changes and so on. And, and when, they, when they go bust, they will really go bust. Right? But that's not a consequence of wealth, it's just bad architecture, isn't it? It's bad, it's bad planning. It's, al it's allowing inflexible architecture to, 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 to go up. And you're seeing along Oxford Street now, you're seeing these huge sites being completely cleared of two, three hundred identifiable dwellings, each of which could have been adapted over time into one thundering great block. And that's very difficult to adapt. I completely agree. And Ga that, Gavin, sorry. I'm sorry, is, is that to do with the fact that people have a faith in the wealth that, that they can just put up a, a bad building and believe that people are going to fill it up? Yes. I, I mean, I'm just... Yeah, that, 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 this, the answer is yes. I mean, it, it, it is interesting, obviously, like Canary Wharf was, was built on the back of lots of docks that had, had, did house artists in, um, and then it all kind of failed. And the buildings themselves, I think, were only... They were only, like, 30-year buildings anyway, so they probably only got a few more years to go, and then most of them will have to come down. So we'll see. I mean, if we'll see. We'll, in our own lives, we'll see what happens. <laughs> if they hadn't pulled down um, Canary Wharf that was... Uh, it would now be as, as popular and probably as expensive and rich as Tribeca in New York. Um, you know, it, was, it was sitting, waiting to become a very exciting neighbourhood. They, they, they swept it all aside and built that. 
So this is a prime example of money creating, yep. though, a less in, by your definition, a less interesting yep. city because you erase streets, smaller dwellings, possibilities for stuff to happen and, and replace it with floor plate that you can rent out by the square meter. To, as, a, as an artist, I mean, we, yes, interestingness might be things we like to go and look at, but mm. there's no doubt that I suppose people like you, Gavin, are lumped in by certain kind of marketers of this city as you know, one, of the, one of the exemplars of, of London's kind of you know, thriving um, creativity and art scene and all of that stuff. Why haven't you decamped to a Berlin or to a, one of these other cities where you can get a much bigger studio, much cheaper, you can have freedom, you can drink cheaper coffee? Um... I had a family and, you know, got stuck here. Um, but otherwise think, you would have I done. Think that, I think that everyone, I think that basically lots of people, uh, lots of friends, uh, you know, went to Berlin. And I mean, strangely enough, like most of them come back a little bit with the tail between their legs, sort of saying that they can't really, you know, make it work there in some ways. Um, although it is, you know, I think it's a very, it is a very creative place. Um, it also possibly doesn't have the same sort of market, uh, um, market-based kind of uh, way of operating. And so, so, you know, artists do find it quite hard, I think, there. although you get a bigger studio. Um, because of the lack of money. I mean, it's interesting that the, the, the sort of Notting Hill uh, um, example where, you know, most people that I know that live in Not- Notting Hill... Um, you know they're, they're 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 desperate for artists to come and live in Notting Hill. <laughs> they keep they keep talking about how you know like like that that um, that they you know the artists seem to run away from Notting Hill. They don't seem to be coming to Notting Hill. They don't seem to come, go to Labrick Grove. They all seem to be going east, or they seem to be going to Peckham. And uh, you know and, it, and this is quite frustrating. But I I think it's just because at some point like artists go to where it's cheap. Um, which is a purely market-based decision, so there's absolutely no... Well, kind of. I mean, I, I, I suppose art in East London, art in Hackney, probably since the 70s, like, it, like I think Hackney contains something like 75% of all artists working in, 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 the, in the country were living in Hackney. So, you know, it has a, there is a precedence there, which, which is now quite a long, long term. Kieran, don't underestimate the thing we haven't mentioned, which is the English language. I mean, the English language is one of the reasons why London's become so, so interesting on a sort of world scale. People can come to London and not feel alienated by language. It, it welcomes people who speak English. And, and we can't speak their languages either. We can't, no, we, we can't speak <laughs> languages. when we run their countries. <laughs> yeah, you're quite right. Tony, can I ask you, I mean, that's a good point. There are lots of kind of drivers for people to come to London, be interested in this city. It's language, it's a kind of, it is a place where, where people from lots of different cultures can feel comfortable together, a relatively tolerant city. I'm not sure they feel that comfortable with UKIP on the march. Perhaps not, but perhaps more than they do in Stockholm, where, where 12% of the vote goes to, goes to you know, a far more right-wing... Uh, party, but but I'm interested in whether for you there's anything here as you hear you know a, a musician, an artist speak about what what sort of London means to them, what the injustice of London might mean. Whether there's kind of whether there's any compensation in the in the kind of creativity that's undoubtedly here for the kind of injustice that you basically identified at the start. Or whether all of this is just a luxury, a place like this is just a kind of uh, a, a, you know not. Oh, London is beautiful, 
London is wonderful, but whenever I think of the things that I really love about London, uh, the Sir John So Museum, the London Library, not the British Library because it looks like a Tesco's, um, you know, gorgeous Georgian buildings, and I and I read you writing about the destruction of, of Victorian buildings, and it and it and it it's heartbreaking. I, I think for me, my attachment to London is is, is really about is about the, um, the the bricks and the mortar old London. I don't really care for new London. It's very rare that I see a building built after 1910 and think that's beautiful. But More isn't that often, just romanticism? You just rem- what what is it about? Well, that? I just I don't I, I I I don't know what architecture students are learning these days. But they certainly don't know anything about proportion. And it, it's cheap and it's nasty. But what I was going to say, well, I think it's cheap and it's nasty. Um, but what I was going to say is. London is wonderful, but I'm just frightened that a vast majority of the people who live here will never get to experience that because they're spending their nights and days on the bus going to really low-paid jobs and trying to look after their children. Um, you know, I earn a good wage, but since I've become a mother, you know, who's got time for anything? So I, I think. So before you even get to, to interestingness, there's too many too many barriers set up by the inequality of the Well, system. I think it's interesting if you've got money and it's interesting if you've got leisure. And, you know, I was thinking, listening to Gavin, you, you, he wouldn't be allowed to be on the dole anymore. He'd be working at Poundland for his benefits. Which is an exactly. intriguing prospect. Akala, you were nodding then. Uh, do you, you also agree that this, you know, this question of culture, kind of this question of interestingness, the things we like to do, where, how have we defined that? So the cultures term? that are catered to in terms of, see, we, we, we keep talking about these things as if they're not based on political ideology and decision-making. It's just they're, they're random freak occurrences. But the cultures that are catered to, that are funded, the buildings that are maintained, etc., plays that are put on. So London is interesting for some cultures and for some people. If you have money, yes, London can be very interesting. If you don't have money, London can also be interesting, but not in the same way. You make London interesting for yourself and for your community if you don't happen to be from a community that is culturally or economically catered for. Does that make sense? So I'm not suggesting... That makes sense, but do, do you think we're in more of a moment where, where it's more difficult for, for... you know? So, for instance, when you, you mentioned the Notting Hill, Notting Hill Carnival of the 1980s, for you, was a more interesting phenomenon. Now it's... Less so. For sure. Why, but what I'm interested in getting at, Akala, is why, you know, why, that, why that trajectory happens. What's the specific moment now that's different from, from what it was then? Are we just, is it just more inequality? You know, or, it's not different. It's the logical outcome of the way the society is governed. I don't think it's an accident. Decisions are made. You know, I don't believe in accidents. Decisions are made. There are consequences to those decisions. You can have a policy that embraces a range of cultures in a very real way. You can have policy like Norway that taxes corporations to high heaven so that everyone has a basic standard of living. Or you can say corporations come here will not tax you at all. In fact, when you mess up the country, we'll bail you out in the biggest act of kind of public welfare ever. And then we'll demonize the people who, you know, want 50 quid a week um, and, and kind of valorize the people who want 50 billion. So I think, it, like I said, it's about what perspective you're coming from will affect how you see all of these things. I, mean, I, th- I just think we're, danger- we're in danger of falling into, into a certain sort, I won't call it elitism, but a sort of specialism, um, that, 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 that we want the place to be interesting, but not interesting to too many people. Uh, interesting to us, but if lots of other people come to Notting Hill Carnival, it's no longer interesting. If, 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 if too many people come to London theatre, um, uh, they're all, quotes tourists, and therefore not interesting. I mean, I find tourists very interesting. I like going to 
Portobello Road and seeing the tourists much of the tap. Um, I mean, the, 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 the thing that's exciting about London is the sheer magnetism of the place. Uh, the fact that it doesn't, it, it, after a certain stage, the wrong sort of art or the wrong sort of theatre or the wrong sort of music begins to take over, that's a sign of the success of the place, not the failure of the place. Is it an inverted snobbery, then, Carla? No, not at all, because there's no danger of African-Caribbean people taking over the power at the Barbican or here. So the idea that, you know, the one little space, we, what we call the marginal space, right, then gets overtaken by the dominant culture, and we're supposed to just say, oh, well, that's okay, but you already have the Barbican and the South Bank and the BBC and Channel 4 in a society that is majority non-white British. Let's be clear about the makeup of this, this city, yeah? So when Notting Hill Carnival becomes another reflection of that, it's not about not wanting to engage with other people. We engage with other people all day, every day. But there is marginal space where particular cultures are catered for. And, and do you think that should be protected then? I think that's convincing, but how, how could you possibly protect well, that Well, if margin? the people in positions of power controlling Notting Hill Carnival represented the interests of the community that created it, rather than the interests of middle-class homebuyers who want to move into Notting Hill, then it would be, still be a very different carnival if... if the armed police that I never see at Glastonbury, even though I see infinitely more drugs at Glastonbury than I've ever seen at Carnival, anyone who's been in our community knows the only drug that's socially acceptable is weed. If you take cocaine or ease or ketamine or any of this other crazy stuff that they take at Glastonbury, in our community you're socially ostracised. Yet we get armed police and not in Hill Carnival um, and Glastonbury gets a free reign to take as much drugs as they want. So there is, a, there is these things that I say become invisible to you if they don't affect you. But just without wanting to harp on it, the, the idea that... So your position is that it's been badly managed and therefore not kept true to... No, no, a, a, it hasn't been badly managed. It's been managed in the way that the people who are in the positions of power to manage it wanted to manage it. it having one million plus people of... It, it, especially in the 80s, in the legacy of Tox, Steph and Brixton and Tottenham, let's be clear about the legacies we're dealing with in the African-Caribbean community in, in this society. With the legacies of all those volatile uprisings in black and Asian neighbourhoods in the 80s, having one million people from this particular demographic gathering every year, with ex and others, with expressly anti-racist rhetoric, expressly celebrating this culture that was defined as other, was problematic. And so it was managed in a way that would reduce that and it's become what it's become. So that's not about wanting to share the space and it's not about success. I, when I go to, when I read James Joyce, Toni Morrison gave me a great quote. When she reads James Joyce, she doesn't ask him to stop being Irish so that she can enjoy the novel. Do you understand? She wants him to maintain his authentic Irishness so she can enjoy it. There are some people who would like to enjoy African-Caribbean culture just without African-Caribbean people. And not in Hill Carnival... <laughs> Notting Hill Carnival is a very real reflection of that. I think it's, I mean, it's very eloquently put. I'm very interested in this notion, though, that pockets of interestingness might be protected or maintained through various means. Is that possible? Gavin, you know, you must have been, you were part of one of the shortest-lived pockets of, of shortage, for instance. It's this thing of in, things becoming institutionalised. You know, it's like the moment when something is sort of, by the time everyone realises that this thing's great, it's, it's sort of almost over, or, or it becomes institutionalised. At the moment it becomes institutionalised, institutionalised you, you end up kind of gathering together all these problems, basically, um, and, then re, and, then reserve, and then serving them back, back up again. Are institutions um, that bad? I mean, well, well they, 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 they... Well, oh, here we go. <laughs> You're not going to um, offend me. Uh, I, think it, I, I think that they're... they're they're problematic if they, if, if they are set up in the wrong way, if they're not set up with the right ambition. And I think that's what you were talking about. I think that, that ultimately, you know, that, that you, there are times when, when 
it serves, you know, it, it serves the wrong kind of interest to, to, to set things up and make things happen in a certain kind of way, and then, and then things I mean, get... We're discussing an essentially transient, rather evanescent quality, which has been yeah. interesting. Um, and it, and it, it, it never lasts in one place. It tends to, to, to move around. The question is what facilitates that. I mean, take the V&A. V&A, frankly, was very boring when I was younger. Um, it's the same V&A. It's the same place. Uh, it's in a rich part of London. It's infinitely more interesting now than it used to be. I think it's interesting because of two things. One is it's well run. Secondly, it's because um, it, it, it is simply flooded with people. Um, in, other, in other words, the, share, the market for people, which is the most vigorous market a city has, is turned its way. Now, I think the most important thing, if, you, if you're looking for a policy implication of all this, the most important thing is to keep communities fluid and flexible. They've got to be susceptible to newcomers. They've got to eject um, people as they, as, they, as they grow old or whatever, and they've got to welcome newcomers to the area. The thing has got to be fluid and flexible. It's when you don't allow that to happen. You take East Berlin, you take most of Eastern Europe. Um, the place became deeply uninteresting. Um, gradually, it's become more interesting as markets open up. But we're talking always... about markets, not with great respect to Carlo, we're not talking about control. But what about, say, Chinatown in London? That was weird and un- uninteresting for a long time, but protected, and now arguably <coughs> it's getting more interesting again um, because it was protected. To, to Chinese people, but I mean. <laughs> to Chinese yes. people, yeah, but that's. Um, but, but, it's, but, it, it's this diversity that works. It just works. It makes it more magnetic, more appealing to people, but you've, you've, you just, you've, you've got to prevent it ossifying. And big buildings ossify, that's my point. Tanya, can I ask for your take on, on this part of the discussion about the need to either protect, have protected spaces perhaps for certain kinds of culture in a city like London that is constantly changing or just submit to the need for the constant royal of, of change, economic change, social change and just, just say, well, that's just an inevitable tide. Do you, do you have any sense of whether there should be, should be carved out spaces for certain cultures or things to happen? Um, well, I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question because I'm Jewish. And um, I went to Venice, and the, the ghetto in Venice, into which the, it's the first ghetto, gun factory, it means, I think, Giotto, or similar, um, and it actually has canals all around it. So having, as a Jew, uh, my forefathers emerged from a ghetto, I'm in no hurry to go back into one. Um, and of course, of course it needs to be fluid, but I keep coming back to the same point, which is, Who's going to come here if, if they can't afford to live here? And I would be lying if I said I knew the answer to that. I don't know about the mansion tax. I'm not sure it's going to help, though I'm not, I, I'm not an evening standard feature writer. You know, I'm not weeping for the people in their £2 million Primrose Hill mansions who are scared of the mansion tax um, if Miliband comes in. But we need more housing. Do we not need more housing? There's, what do we need? There's, there's plenty of housing in London. Ever since London existed, people have crammed themselves into London. <clears throat> as long as their jobs, as long as it's interesting, they'll come. They won't come to fashion. Half the conversation in the Evening Standard at the moment about London house prices relates to the places that the parents of the people writing the article went to live when they were young. Primrose Hill, North Kensington, Islington, all these areas. You can't afford it now. Forget it. It's what Belgravia was to to my parents. Just forget it. The the new London is somewhere else. Transport is longer, you're right. It costs money to get there, but buying a house is in many ways much cheaper than it was. The thing is just changing. You've got to get out of this mindset that it's all about... But house prices in Westminster and Kensington, it's not. Change is a constant here, then, in your book, Simon. I think it might be... Sorry, did you... I thought you were about to launch into... I, no, Tyrate. No, I, I was... You know, I, I think that change is, a, change is obviously a great thing, and, and obviously we, we would warrant the change in the right direction. And I, you know, I think that... that um, the... 
you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can sit here and talk about like how you know this change should be constructed. But but you know, I, I think that you know, if we if we if if people can if people can um, understand, it, as, as I say, I think there's a certain responsibility they have to the culture, and uh, and I think if they can kind of understand that responsibility, then then we'll, we'll change in the right way. I mean, you know, I think this kind of this kind of pot of money that, that maybe this hot, hot money that comes in and comes out, I don't, I don't really think that's, I don't really think that's any good to anyone, really. I, you know, I find, it I find that uninteresting. Maybe it's a good moment to open it up to a few questions from the audience, if you have some. Um, questions to any of the panel members, of course. I'm also really interested in people who perhaps... Can I have a show of hands first? Show of hands first. Who's a Londoner here? That's almost everyone. Um, I'm going to do a kind of Western East thing. Who thinks they live in West London? And who lives in East London? And there's kind of South, isn't there? Where, well, who lives South? Yeah, yeah. And, and North is either East or West, so you presumably elected for one or the other. Right. North, there's a vote for North in the back row. Okay, north so we've got fairly even, and, and down here, that's great. So we've got a bit of a west-east divide here. I think that's already meaningful for us as a, mainly a room full of Londoners. Um, can I have some questions, please? Any of the, like I say, any of the panellists here, also anybody who's got an experience, I think, of, of how London is changing because of money. But we, do we have a first question there? Do you have a microphone? You might need to borrow one. It's coming. Oh, um, yeah, I was just wondering, that, do you think that um, London could turn like Monaco or Aspen? So, for example, in Monaco, the Monagas get special um, subsidized rent so that they can live in where, where they're from. Um, otherwise, I'd be no hairdressers, no supermarket people. And I know that they have the same kind of rules in Aspen for um, the service industries like ski teachers. Everything's is kind of subsidized. So I was thinking, do you, if London is becoming too rich, do you think that for artists or just to keep the culture protected or interested, that there could be, if you're English, you're allowed to live in central London, or you know, if you're an artist, then you're allowed to s- stay where you're from or something like that. So grand social engineering, is this a possibility? Um, what, what, why just artists? I, I think that was just an example. Service wasn't it? industries, I mean, you know, people who can't necessarily afford it, that where they think that they have a right to keep London interesting, do they have a right to stay in the centre? But is this plausible, like the idea that, like Monaco, there might be a privileged status to being a London person? Presumably everyone in this room would vote for that. You'd have to put, you'd have to sort of put walls up around the... You'd have to have a special London passport or something. But it's all getting very evening standard. Very city-state and medieval, perhaps. So maybe this is something that appeals to you. It's all getting a little bit over evening standard. I, I, I have no idea how that... I don't know how that would play out, like the, the idea of what special dispensations for locals, is it? Well, we used to have it. It was called council housing. Council housing, yeah. It's, but it's been sold. Oh, yeah. Well, lo- lots of it. I, I think I, you, the two technical issues, do you want a fairer society with lots of social housing and no one very poor? And I mean, do you want that kind of state, bluntly? Or do you want an interesting city? I mean, they're not necessarily incompatible, but they're totally different discussions. And I mean, a lot of this is, is predicated on the fact that it's terribly expensive for some people to live in some parts of London. I mean, I just say tough. <laughs> so you, 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 you endorse the moving out of people away from communities they've lived in all their lives to seaside towns or... I mean... I'm not moving them. 
you're, you're not bothered? The policy is moving them and the society is moving them. It's, it, we act, like I said, things that benefit us and that we morally agree with are invisible to us. So you, if we go and have this community, if we go and have this discussion, not in the privileged space of the VNA, but in a working class community where people are being moved out and ask them what they think, the response is going to be the complete opposite. Of course they're going to say they care about being moved out of the neighbourhood that they've lived in since their great-grandparents were here because they've now apparently got one too many bedrooms and they've got to pay extra tax on that. As if their work and the sweat of their brow and all of these other things have not contributed to the society in which they live, far more than the people that are here that have robbed billions of pounds from the society but are not going to have to move out of anywhere. So people are not stupid. They can see the injustice before them and the way that policy favours some people people over others, but those of us that benefit often make that policy that benefits us invisible to us. I mean, Simon, is a basic point, but this constant change you speak of surely only benefits those who can deal with change. If you, I mean, if you try and legislate against that kind of housing market in a big city, it, it, it will fail in some sense. Like I mean, Stockholm. If you, if, you wanted, if you wanted social housing for artists, they had it in Moscow for 60 years. Uh, big deal. I mean, not a very interesting city. Um, you, 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 you just have to accept that big cities breathe on their own. The market does work. It's very unfair. We're having a conversation about interestingness, fine. A but, conversation about fairness, different conversation. But the market doesn't do what it does. That's what I'm saying. This myth of the free market is because people ignore things that they morally agree with. Child labour is legislated against. When the, in 1819, when the child labour legislation came in, guess what? People who were in favour of the so-called free market opposed it and said, you cannot interfere with the market. They didn't recognise they re, they the fact that the immorality of child's, child, child labour as something that the government should get involved with. That was quote-unquote big government. Today, how many people in this society would agree that children should labour in factories? None. Right, because it's become socially normal. So, so, so would there your, is no free market. Your the free ideal market then is politically determined. In, the, in a changing city, then your ideal would be to to normalise kind of. If I were in charge, late, lack of change. Right. If, say, I, if I were in charge, there would be more social housing. There would be more representation. But that's natural for someone from my background and my political inclinations. Someone from a different background and a different set of political inclinations and a different living experience may view the city in a different way. But and if I might ask a, a, yeah. a, a much like lower order of question, but still interesting because we have this word interesting on the, on the board here, doesn't that make us more like a kind of quite tedious but very safe Nordic country and less like the capital of but, culture but, for the Western world? what do Western you mean world? by tedious and, and safe? You know, if you were living in the rough part of town you wouldn't view London as tedious and safe. So it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, it's so cool living near to these poor people who can't quite make it. Oh, it's just lovely. You know, it's dangerous, but we're protected from it because we've got privilege, you know. It, it, it's, it's nonsense. But you go and talk to people who are living in it, who are struggling day to day, who are having to use food banks, and they don't find London very tedious at all. London's actually quite dangerous for those people. Great. More. <laughs> <laughs> More questions. There's loads of hands. Um, there's loads of hands. Let's have a couple at the back, perhaps. But there's one in the back row by the railing, and then perhaps one from the back section, and we'll gradually work our way forwards, I promise. Um, just following on from that point, I'm just wondering, just because now London's obviously now like the global city on the planet, so as inhabitants of the city, to some extent, we're now competing with the rest of the world to live here. And just because we were born here, because our parents were here, so we never actually made a choice as like a fetus to be born in London. Are we, to some extent, expected to be given a right to live here just because we were born here? Just a curiosity. And just following from that, if you think where people are complaining that London's sucking the life out of the rest of the UK, is this not way in the long run a good way to sort of almost drive born and bred Londoners out into the rest of the country to then build up 
places they'll be like better London off with more of us. Pardon? They'll be better off with more of us up <laughs> north. Um, let's, let's take two questions at a time, because that was quite related to the first one. We might come back to it. Um, there's one by the railing here that I spotted. Um, I wanted to make the point of some... I think that we're kind of swinging between two extremes, like very poor, very rich. And I grew up in Hornsey, which is North London. It's not a glamorous part of London. But when I grew up on a street, my parents were teachers. I, um, we lived next door to an artist. Uh, we had an Indian family two doors up, a mixed-race family across the road, and a council estate at the top of the street. And we all went to the local school, and we all played out... And we all got to know each other and each other's cultures. And I feel like that's what made London interesting when I was growing up. And I really relate to Carnival. I went to Carnival when I was young as a raver. And I went to Carnival this year. And it was like going to Reading Festival. And I want to be at Carnival when it's celebrating the thing that it was created to celebrate. And I think London's lost what it should be celebrating, which is a street where you can have people from all different backgrounds. The artists don't need to go and live in East London. And the... I don't know where teachers even live. My, and my parents still live in that same house, and a lot of those families do. And I want to bring my child up in a London where she can or he can meet families. And I don't see streets where that exists anymore. And I feel like there's this kind of... sort of... And also, I think a lot of people come to London and then when it comes to sending their kids to school, they go, oh, no, well, we can't send our kids to school around here because they'll have to mix and the schools are really shit. And so we'll move back to the Shire. And it was really fun to vomit all over Hackney and be trendy. And now we'll move back. And that's like carnival. It's just, it was just laughing gas and vomit. And, you know, no real sort of dub or anything that I saw when I went. And I think that is a brilliant example of London. And where it's gone all wrong, Can it's ask, just is become the street in Hornsey, that homogenised. Street in, has that street in Hornsey changed completely now? Then not or? completely, because my parents are still there, and the art, and they're all in their sixties, and the artist is still there, and it's wonderful, and they're real people with real, uh, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but I do think that there is a reality to that sort of mixture. And but the houses now, there's no way my parents could move into their house now. And the irony is they can't sell it and move into another house in the same area. So right. they're stuck in a big house that's too big for them. They can't sell it because if they sell it, they can't even get a two-bed in the area for the amount... It's just... So, yeah, I, don't, I think it will be ruined. As soon as their generation dies, I think Thanks. it will be ruined. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, maybe that was more of a point than a question, so let's take another point or question. Thank you very much. Um, is there somebody on this side? There's somebody just behind the railing there with the long hair. Hi. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel students in London haven't really been um, brought up so far. And as a student at a London university... Um, in central London, based in Euston. And my dad also went to the same university. So I thought that's quite an interesting perspective from two different generations. Um, So my father said you'd be hard-pushed to find a privately educated um, student at UCL back in the day, um, or that many international students. But now, because London is so expensive, actually, interestingly, in the tab today... Um, which is a university online sort of news forum, Um, they said that UCL has become the most... um, uh, the university in Britain with 
the most, uh, the highest percentage of international students with the jacked up fees and privately educated students, which uh, does not uh, provide enough diversity for its students and therefore is less interesting. And I thought uh, I was be interested to hear what the panel thought of that. So that's an example of an institution betraying its roots in some sense. Exactly. It, because in, it's in become your, so expensive for students to live here. It becomes a bit monocultural and therefore less interesting. But you were at the Royal College when, when you... What was the Royal College like then? And what might it... I mean, um, I... I was in the last year of, of students who were getting a grant. So I kind of was really lucky to... Sorry. I was really lucky to have kind of... I went through, straight from school, through education, right up to sort of like a Master of Arts, and came out as the last... I think the, the year behind me, they were they were already starting to introduce the idea of student loan. I mean, we didn't have to pay fees, but it was still student loan. So um, it was a very mixed group of of people that were on the course. Um, they, they, I think there there was I think there were three or two overseas students in the, in the year, but it wasn't. I'm very interested in this much. idea of and that, institutions and seem to be coming up. And Carlo, that story could be your story about the carnival in some ways. I mean, very different characters of institution. But, um, but is that, I mean, that, these are democratically created sort of, I mean, in the case of a university, a public institution, shouldn't it stand for better than, than, than it's just been described? In theory, yes. But in actuality, perhaps not. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure in about 100 years' time, uh, our children will sit around, or the grandchildren will sit around saying, you know, back in 2014, those were the days, the good old days, when everything in London was just about right. I mean, it, the old days are always better to us. I mean, all these little communities were wonderful, weren't they? I could tell a story about my street in Kensington, which would make your heart break, uh, given what it is now, but it's not that much of an issue. I mean, they, don't, they just change. We've got to accept they change, and we're terrified of change. That's what's coming through this. That's not, I'm not saying there was good old days. As I stated in the beginning, these issues have always been there and will continue to be there. And depending where you're at on the social fulcrum, so to speak, will depend on how you feel about them. If you can afford to live in Kensington, naturally you'll be able to blase, just say, well, change is change, don't worry about it, while I've got my flat in Kensington. If you live on a council estate in Hackney, you know, and your parents work two jobs, infinitely harder than most of us in this room probably is, you know, a nurse and, you know, a doctor, you know, a poor-paying NHS hospital, then maybe you'll see things completely differently and you'll be resistant to change because your position on the social ladder is much less secure. But are you saying that, that nobody can possibly understand the, the, you know, anybody else who isn't in their, in their no, social that's not, class? That's, not what, what, what that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what's being said here is that you've, you've got to be ready for change. I'm saying from a position of social stability, inclusion, representation within a society, economic privilege, gender privilege, etc., it's very easy to say that. I mean, the two comments we had from here, Simon, didn't sound rose-eyed very tinted spectacles to me. They sounded like actually they would rather have stability than the change that that, that street and that institution have seen. Well, I mean, I, 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 one of the reasons why I'm, I'm against comprehensive redevelopment is it tends to produce traumatic change. I mean, I think change is best when it's evolutionary. But, but if, you, if you freeze a community, if you say the people who live here now have a divine, oh, well, a divine right, a civic right, to, it's, like, it's like these communities in the country. They want to be protected from anyone moving in. I see this in Wales. Any new people shouldn't be allowed to move in. This has got to be for us, for our children, our grandchildren. We have a civil right to live in this community forever. And the planning system has got to protect that right. I just don't recognize that right. I think it would be nice if you, if you had the people living around you who your parents had living around 
around you. I think in many ways the communities are more vigorous and more healthy when they last and they aren't tra traumatized. But it's not a zero-sum game. Point. It's, it's not either complete and utter constant change or no. utter ossification, is it? Surely there must be a... That, that, that's why I think the planning system, and I, I, I believe in the authority of the planning system over the market to this extent, uh, does have to gear, does have to control the process of change in a way in which it didn't in, in, in this wretched thing we got still on the screen behind us. Let's take another two or three. Um, let's have some from sort of the middle rank here, if that's okay. Um, there's a gentleman near the aisle and another couple in that. You can fight over the... But let's have this gentleman first. Hello. Um, there seemed to be quite a lot of criticism tall buildings and new modern buildings and there's no proportion since 1910 that looks great. And the reality is, you know, and also that poor people can get out of the middle of London and go sit up on Zone 6 and have a great time. The reality is there are nowhere to live and buy within Zones 1 to 2. And if we're ripping out the heart of London and giving it to rich people and, you know, if you go down to Sloan Square, it's pretty boring. You go to the east, it's edgy, it's interesting. And I know that's very specific to myself or whoever, but if you can't afford to live and you push out those people, it won't regenerate. Thank you. Um, there were a couple more along the similar... There's so many hands up. Go really fast then. Let's take two more from, from over there. Can you speak more into the... Joel. You're an architect. It was on. Oh, dear. It was... No, it's here. Take mine. Hello. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up the point that Tanya made, is uh, who are the people that are going to make London interesting? Um, I'm a journalist. Um, I'm aware of the sort of creative people who can make a city interesting. It's not just artists, but artists are important, journalists, writers, and so on. When I look at London, it's so incredibly expensive, and people aren't getting money for postgraduate degrees and so on. You don't get a loan anymore. So what's happening is you have a terrible monoculture of the people who come into the creative industries now. They're very wealthy. They're a bit actually like Simon Jenkins. Um, there's very, very little diversity. I say with journalists, I say we know how difficult it is for actors to get jobs. Uh, there is a monoculture. They're all you know, great, talented people, but they're the same. And I'm just wondering whether this is a bit of a problem for, for London. The people who are going to make it interesting are very, from a very, very thin, thin stratum of society. That's, let's take another point. Thank you for that very much. Um, towards the end of the row there, there's a lady, um, lady there. If that's okay. I can, next to the man holding his white thing in the air. Thank you. Hi. My question actually relates to the previous one, and, but on a broader level in terms of industries. When we talk about interesting, we, some, we most of the time think about the creative industry. And actually today, when I look at the panel, you all come from the medias, the arts, or uh, the music industry. Um, given the growing importance of finance, do you think actually the financial sector is going to make London less interesting? Does the financial sector in itself make London less interesting? Maybe that's an interesting question. Is, are, finance, are people in finance just inherently less interesting than people from, from yes. the media? Yeah. Carla thinks yes. yes. That's a bold, a bold yeah, answer. Why? I just think they are. 
<laughs> it's a totally irrational. No, it's not an irrational. It's not a totally irrational prejudice. I know, I know a few people that work in finance. I've, you know, I, spent, I used to get the train to Romford when I played for West Ham as a child from Liverpool Street every week, and you know, four times a week, in fact, and see the life that's in there. If you look at somewhere like even somewhere that's kind of relatively liberal and 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 and, uh, and uh, wealthy like Shoreditch House, they ban suits from coming there for a reason. Because the image of the guy with his briefcase and that particular banking aspect isn't that interesting. You understand? So I, I do believe people that are more interesting are attracted to more interesting professions. Scientists can be very interesting. Science is very interesting. But I, I just don't know how much creatively banking has contributed to, to the world of art. T- Tanya, you said before you didn't mind the oligarchs because they're just parking their money in the, in, in the most logical place. But what about that... The, quarter of a million people or so who work in the city, that, that whole world. Is that interesting to you? Does that add quality to London? Well, I, I don't really know any of them, but I did see them dancing at the Fable Bar in East London, uh, which, um, and that sounds like shouting yeah. at each other. Um, so I don't really want to generalise, and they've sort of, you know, they've become the sort of big boogeyman, it's the banker. I mean, they seem, it's perfectly obvious to me, they're people who quite like money, and now we all hate them because they're the only people who can afford to live in Zone 1 and 2. Um, I suspect that they like numbers, they like certainty, you know, I even feel a little bit of sympathy for them. I don't mind them, but I do mind, um, I, 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 I do mind that they're getting all the stuff. <laughs> you do mind that they get... That they're getting all the stuff. And also, have, yeah. they, have they commissioned any, any great artworks, the bankers? Well, that's a good question. But sure also, the bankers are like the anti-artists, aren't they? Artists good, bankers bad. I mean, it's got to be a bit more complicated yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, we, we asked whether they were more creative, not whether they were good or bad. This is a trade union meeting, you realise. <laughs> In Moscow. Was it that they... That they what's the, the, bot, the, the heart of the question was, do, do we think do that we think bankers that people who work can, in finance are, are, interesting, are interesting? Is it? Or are less interesting than more or less than people in the media. Are interesting or are creative? Or are, have... Uh, make London less interesting. Oh, are they making London less interesting? Does finance make London less interesting? Surely some of these people are your uh, buyers? Um, yeah, some of them are, which is, which is good, I think. <laughs> um, yes, I, uh, I, I've, I've just recently returned from Hong Kong, which seems to be suffering incredibly from the fact that the people, that, all the people that live in Hong Kong seemingly all work in finance and um, it's not particularly healthy I don't think kind of culturally and, and for, the, for the kind of the, the, the actual um, uh, for the environment it, it seemed quite problematic I thought Is there anyone here who works in finance? Come on be brave Yes there's a, there's a few on the Sorry. left hand side Can some of you uh, I mean if it's not putting you on the spot you know, what, what does... What... Is the workplace uh, interesting? I've been avoiding this side. Okay, look, this... Let's have a, a financier's take. He seems to have been nominated by his friends. Right. <laughs> um, I thought earlier, a caller made a very interesting comment that you need poor people to be rich people. So don't you guys need non-interesting, kind of boring finance people and non-creative people to be interesting and creative? Okay, so it's important to have the finance people, I think. Um, because that's what makes creative, interesting people stand out. And it's also those of us, okay, I'm a little less creative than you guys, um, can sponsor, it's part of your social responsibility then to sponsor those who are creative, who don't Mm -hmm. maybe have the the financial privilege, Mm -hmm. okay, to redistribute a bit of that and support, be patrons of the arts. So I think there's a bit of Mm -hmm. give and take that has to happen there. Good question. So here's a... 
if I might ask you a very quick question. Why, hasn't there be- why isn't there a new Carnegie come out of this unbelievable wealth of, uh, that the city has generated? I'm just genuinely interested. It's not an attack. Why, why hasn't that figure emerged, a genuinely large-scale philanthropist? Good question. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's happened. I mean, you get a, you get a Bill Gates in Seattle contributing a lot to... Uh, health sciences and things like that. So you, you, do, you do get that. Will somebody, it's almost certain to come from somebody in London. I'm not, I'm not sure who. They're all buying football clubs and stuff at the moment, maybe. <laughs> um, a couple more, couple more points from the floor. There's, uh, let's have a couple from this side. So there's somebody in the front row here. I agree with your general observation that it's hard to answer this question because London has a lot of movement in it, all cities do. So maybe I can narrow it down geographically have South Kensington and Knightsbridge and Notting Hill become far too rich to be at all interesting anymore? That sounds loaded, but um, that's a basic question. I mean, is, are these places not interesting? I, I mean, this is degenerating, this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, the idea that there's something inherently wrong about bankers, I just find offensive. Um, I mean, all right, they make money, but, but um, lots of other people make money too. Lots of artists make money. Um, uh, I mean, th- th- I come back to my point. Yes, I mean, Belgravia is now a deep, uninteresting place. It once was, I imagine, to some people, quite interesting. Like, they went there quite often. No one goes there now because it's empty. Um, the same is happening to this part of London. I mean, it's, it's to, to my mind, absolutely tragic. I would introduce a rule like they've got in Berlin. You cannot live in a house if you don't live in it. Quite simple, straightforward. You know, you, you occupy that property or you sell it. Uh, no pro- you, they do this in some places. You can do it. This, this is a, an offence against the market, I agree. But nonetheless, it would There be, is no free market. It, it, has, it, it, has, it has social benefits attached to it. Um, there are all kinds of things you can do to, to ensure that the city remains, in some sense, this wretched word, interesting. Um, and most of them to do, are to do with the law of property, how you uh, guard property, how you develop property, how you use property. All that relates to the concept of, of, of a city living, breathing, and remaining interesting. But, but I, I just, I just I'm, I'm, I'm terribly against the, sort of the classification of certain activities as interesting, or people as interesting, or groups as interesting. Um, it, it, it's just patronising. So key worker housing, for instance, is nonsense? Or? Well, I mean, I, I'm in favour of key worker housing for when, when the key worker is working in the key job. Um, most of the key worker housing I used to know when I was on the housing association, it, it, went, it went to the nurse uh, for five years, and then she got it for life. I mean, that, was, to my mind, was not social housing. That was, that was a very, very lucky person. Okay, a couple more points from the floor. We have somebody almost out of their chair over here, so I can't really ignore her um, on the end of the row here. Thank you, Jenny. Hello. Um, Isn't there an argument that young people and essentially their newness and their energy is what is interesting? That's what we've all been talking about, this energy and this change. And so isn't the fact that... um, Basically, young people at the moment, they either have two choices. They can live in the outskirts of London and essentially live on a diet of chickpeas, or they can live in central London and sort of basically be um, spending most of their money on cost of living and have a small amount to do what's interesting. Isn't the fact that there are these two extremes and the extreme where you're in central London doing what's interesting is unsustainable? Isn't that essentially an issue? And what would be sort of the solution to this? sort of in time to come because essentially cost of living is just going to increase so how can these young people be in a diverse environment that gives allows them the sort of the proximity to what is interesting i guess this comes to your point tanya that that you know if people are just fighting for their cost of you know to meet their cost of living there's no possibility for an interesting city in any case well they i imagine there'd be very little joy in it i mean i'm not i'm not just worried about housing though except 
you know, that you can just move out and out and out. I mean, I'm worried about wages. Simple. Oh, and also the gentleman who said about the monoculture, seeing growing, growing in newspapers, I absolutely see that, and it, even though I've only been a journalist for, for 18 years, and it absolutely terrifies me because um, I hate the idea that journalism is just peopled by people who have always had enough. I think, I think that's a terrible thing for London. I think that's a terrible thing for journalism and, and also for the world. More points there? Uh, okay, there, there is the man waving his white thing. I, I can't ignore him any longer. Is this working? Um, I, I'm uh, in the property business, so uh, I agree with some of the things that Simon uh, Jenkins has been saying, but I, I think we should really introduce a, uh, some reality here. What you're looking at there in that picture... That, that is not just buildings that some of you may think are ugly. That is thousands of people working from six in the morning, probably till ten at night, beavering away, paying their taxes and providing the country with 20% of the tax take, actually, in the whole. So I think we should start by not knocking the people who are working in places like Canary Wharf. Is the ta- and, is the tax a, actually the tax office maybe is in, in one of these? You may think that's frivolous, but the, the, um, the I think industry, maybe it's the Barclays the industry in lo- lo- looking at the question, is London too rich to be interesting? The answer must be a resounding no. But to suggest there's something wrong with the fact that the people who are beavering away in the city, providing most of the money that cleans the streets, and provide, they spend money in the restaurants, they give employment to people directly and indirectly, the theatres work, everything works. And when you build a new building, which you may like to know this, you have to provide social housing. A proportion of every planning application, Hammersmith, Fulham, Kensington, Chelsea provides for social housing. So it's not being... Of course it's true. I I don't think there's anybody on the panel who's who's out of hand dismissed that work, but but if you were to go to the Robin Hood Gardens estate and ask them what they thought of your trickle-down economics... Well, yes, um, but uh, but, but nothing is perfect. extremely well. So I, I think it's quite wrong to knock the people who are providing all the finance that gives an element of the interest via the restaurants, theatres, shows, everything like that. London works, and London is incredibly interesting. I wouldn't I'm ever knock those people. I don't think anyone was knocking those people personally, but point taken. Thank you very much. Um, there's another question there on the same right. Hi there, I don't think anyone wanted to knock the bankers, but I work in a hospital and the nurses can work from 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock at night and they save lives. And save lives for a living. Yeah, so I don't want it to be about money bad, saving lives. Well, it is good. But I do do want to say that people who do work in other, you know, sort of industries do interesting stuff and actually save lives. So, and contribute as well and make London equally interesting. So that's just my little soapbox. Thank you very much. I couldn't agree more. This word interesting is difficult. We're manfully struggling with it up here, and do bear with us. Um, Of course, yes, of course, interesting is a a catch-all title. Yeah, sum up the back there. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, I feel like there's a general trend in the entire Europe that um, properties are just getting more and more expensive, especially in the bigger cities. But London is just 
way, way an outlier. I just recently moved here and I find it the most expensive city I've ever lived in. And I think we also saw this in the news recently that now London is the most expensive city in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So I was just wondering what the panel thinks, what makes London that much more expensive than the rest of the world? Like, what is it that makes it such an outlier? Does anyone have an answer for that? I don't think it is the most expensive city in the world. It's certainly in the top... But it is expensive. Ten or so. Which, which, which London are you talking about? If you're talking about Westminster, probably yes. But, but I mean, the, the answer to your question is because it's interesting. I mean, people want to come here. Um, I mean, I don't see a, a lack of young people in London. I don't see a lack of tourists in London. London's full of students. Uh, my policy for London is to move all students out of London. They don't need to be there. It's the one activity in London that doesn't have to take place in London. You can put, put universities somewhere else. Solihull. Solihull. I mean, they, they, they need students, and they can use students. It's only for three years. And you know every student in London is against it, because London, they love London. On the other hand, it's too expensive for them. So please let me let's stay in London, but make it cheaper for me. Why? Like I said, we, 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 ignore, uh, we ignore the politics that don't affect us. London is, is rich for a number of reasons. People want to come here for a number of reasons. But the reasons are often primarily political. So, for example, if we take the Caribbean community, why did they leave sunny Jamaica and St. Lucia and Trinidad to come here? Primarily because neo-colonial economic policy had made it unviable for them to earn a living where they live. That's just not poppycock. When the IMF lends Jamaica or Trinidad or any of these other countries money, they demand that you don't spend on social housing. They demand that you privatize your water supply, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if people's lives are made untenable in the lands that they come from, they flock to the center of the empire. We choose not to see that or to know that story. The same protectionist policies that Britain employed when it was becoming a developed nation, these countries are prevented from employing. Does that make sense? So when we look at how a country becomes rich, free market economists become very selective about what they choose to remember and what they choose not to remember. And it's frankly just inaccurate to say that people living in the city supply 20% of the money because income tax only represents 25% of the overall what goes into the government. So when we talk about you know, um, social security, when we talk about um, national insurance, etc., that represents the other 75%, which isn't paid by these people. So it's a bit disingenuous to say that 20% of all the money comes from people in the city. But I just have to ask you one more time. I mean, the kind of root and branch critique is, is spot on. But, but are you advocating the kind of, uh, you know, uh, special policies for certain, uh, you know... No, but you... the special policies exist. This is what I'm saying to you. When Britain was a developing country, it employed tariffs to protect its trade. Today, developing countries are prevented from employing tariffs to protect their trade. I understand, I understand right? that. People that are today wealthy were given a leg up via, let's take America, the most obvious example, the New Deal, right? Certain people in America were given a leg up, leg up by government policy. Today, certain other people are deemed unworthy of being given that same leg up. All I'm saying is, if I was in charge, I'd try and give as many people a leg up as possible. And people that squander the national economy would not be rewarded with billions of pounds of public money. These people that believe in the free market are happy to take socialism from, from tax money when they mess up their business. Make up your mind, which is it? That's all I'm saying. I'm not demonizing anyone in a particular profession. I'm saying we're all humans. I'm against one group of people being disproportionately rewarded for what they contribute. Nurses contribute infinitely more. Thank you. Right, we've got probably time for maybe one, two more questions. There's, can we go right to the back up there? There's somebody waving with a white top on um, who seems very keen. You get rewarded for keenness in this audience. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, I have so many things to say to you on the right, but I'm not going to do that. I have a question for Gavin, if that's okay. I just wondered, um, if you had your time again from now... 
in this London with no grant and no time to spend swimming around waiting for a patron or, or however it might work, how would you do it? Would you still be here? Would you stay? Would I still be here if, if we did it again and I didn't get the break? If you, no, not no, necessarily the break. If you were 18 now. If, if, if you were 18 now and you were about to go to kid, university. I've got a 20-year-old oh, right, okay. son who's at home, sort of thing. He's sec- on his second gap year. <laughs> Wondering what to do. Um, I think I'd probably be like that, actually. So... Yeah, I don't. It's not quite the right answer. Is it? It's not a bit clever. Is it? Um, I think it is really. I think it is. I think it's progressively more more difficult for um, for younger people in London to get out there to see the interesting things of London. I mean, obviously, you know, you can do London on the budget, but you know, a lot of the. Um, a lot of the, the kind of, in a way, like the best parts of London and, and, the, and, what, and what people come to London for, I think, you know, is, is possibly something that they need money to do and money to see and money to feel and money to experience. Um, so I think it... it, uh, it I think the, the, the expense of London is, is, is quite difficult and... It, it, you know, or there, there is a difficulty in that, and, and maybe that that's, that might stop uh, a certain channels of of, uh, of... God. Stop doing that. Uh, Do you think? Can I ask certain channels? It's like certain channels of sort of cross fertilisation. Certain areas where where we can where we can still kind of extend our learning, where we can where we can educate ourselves, where we can. I know it's um, speculative, but do you think? Do you think you could have done your final project, which made you not get a degree in these conditions? Would you have walked away from art school without a degree in the conditions that, that graduates face now? I did walk away from art school without a degree. I know, but would you do it now? I, my question is, would you, would you be able to do that now? Do you think you, you, you would be more constrained? Um, oh. By the, by the kind of What, that, that, that I took conditions. a risk and, and, and would I... Imagine not taking a risk today because we can't take a risk because we can't afford not to take risks. I'm just wondering if you. Could. Well, it may be the case. I mean, it may be the case that that um, that you know education that, sh- that that come back to our students that aren't really even supposed to be in London now. It seems. Oops. Um, but but that students can't push it. They can't. They can't take risks because you know they've got to play it safe and they've got to. I mean, I, 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 um, I teach outside London. I, I, I teach at, at Bath Spa um, University, and I see um, a lot of students who are very nervous about um, coming out of college and, and, and art being vocational. And they, you know, a lot of them are very um, safe. You know, it's very hard to get people. In fact, I think now they've they've recently tried to institutionalise. Who says that word again? In the first year, that that, that the students are rewarded for taking risks. That's actually written into the program. They're rewarded for taking risks. I'm like, really? It's so bizarre. It's a bizarre thing to try and write that you want the students. 
to, you want to reward the students for taking risks. I mean, what, what kind of twisted thing is that to, to inscribe because in... Because they're in less the, likely to, naturally. Because there's a problem, I think, that, you know, I think that, 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 that people are... And, and, you know, and this will impact on the interest, you know, of the environment if, if, if it becomes too, um, you know, if it, if it becomes too restrictive, if it becomes too tight, if people don't feel that, um, that they want to kind of expand their... their um, they're thinking, then I think that maybe that, that, is, that is a sort of a poor uh, state. I think that rather eloquent and sort of pregnant question might be a good place to, to end, actually. I know there are probably loads more questions, but I really want to thank our panel and hope you will with me. Simon Jenkins, Atala, Tanigal, I'd like to thank all of you for coming. Thanks to Intelligence Square and the whole team, especially Hannah, for bringing this event here. I hope you'll be here at the next one. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligence Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.